Well, tonight is Wednesday, February 7th, 2018. The title of tonight's sermon is Family Entrapment. Family Entrapment. If you guys have been listening to what's been going on in these services that we've had, if you've been awake to what's been going on in our foundation classes, if you've been alive in our discipleship helps or acts classes, you realize that the Lord is doing something pretty special in our midst. Can't you feel that? Yes. With a 12th round series that reminded us constantly, that drilled it into our hearts that we must clinch, turn, and mount an offensive so that we can be victorious in the kingdom. With a Talmudim series that encouraged every single life in this place to press into new levels so that we can please the Lord. On Sunday, a message that encouraged us to what? To grab hold of what God has for us and to a singular standard so that we can do this. This is going to be kind of an evening tonight where we're going to uproot every single sin in our lives. We're going to burn every weed of disobedience that we might have. We're going to decimate every thorn that may have tried to grow up in our lives. We're going to crush every stray thought. We're going to annihilate every excuse. We're not going to leave a hoof behind. Amen. Amen. Are you all with me tonight? I don't want you to get lulled to sleep tonight. I don't want you to get lulled to sleep by incredible praise and worship. I don't want you to get lulled to sleep by the fact that you are a part of a church that is actually doing something for the kingdom. Because what we're going to go after tonight is every little root, is every little seed, is every little thing that can still trip you up. Would you turn with me to Leviticus chapter 19? A place where all good sermons start, right? Leviticus. Come on, Leviticus 19. I've been, I was reading through the Septuagint today. You know, I mean, like we all do, right? I was reading through the Septuagint and something really struck me. And it starts here in Leviticus 19 and verse 14. Are you there? Let's read it together. It says this. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. What an interesting place for us to start this evening, right? Don't curse the deaf. Well, I mean, pastor, they're not going to hear it anyway. I'm not being rude. I'm not being crude here. The Lord is actually instructing it. Lest we think something really, really wrong here. Let's do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block. Everybody say stumbling block. In front of the blind. But fear your God. So what happens if you are in fact cursing the deaf or putting a stumbling block in front of the blind? You are no longer fearing the Lord in any way. What an interesting thing that the law is trying to establish. It's trying to ingrain in our hearts a certain principle. You know, when I looked up and I found that word for stumbling block, Tara, we have a a picture that I like to show, a slide here. The word for stumbling block in the Septuagint, in the Greek, we're going to trace this all the way through. If you're an Acts 1 student, we're going to walk through the entirety of Scripture here based in the Greek word. And the Greek word is scandalon. Everybody say scandalon. Scandalon. Huh. What an interesting word. It's translated as stumbling block in the NIV. But here's what it says. Scandalon is the trigger of a trap. It's the trigger of a trap. Everybody say trigger. Trigger. Okay, so we're going somewhere with this. You could read the rest of it, but look at the part that I've highlighted at the bottom for you. Scandalon always denotes an enticement to conduct which could ruin the person in question. So what is the trigger in this case? It's a behavior. It's something that the enemy is trying to get you to do. Because what happens if you do this? 
it's going to ruin you in every way possible. It's a small thing you may think. You know, I mean, I'm just going to say a curse at a deaf person. I mean, really, what, what is that going to really hurt, right? It's going to hurt you. It's going to cause a trigger to happen in your life. Let's look at the next word. This word is closely related. That was 4625. This is 4624. The word is scandalies or scandalizio. And it's this. It is a trap. It is a stumbling block to what is going on. So one is the trigger. trigger. The scandalon is the trigger. And the, this one is the trap itself. Could you show the next picture for me? The scandalizo is the trap. The scandalon is the trigger. Do you guys see that? Yeah. Have, have you seen a, a trap like this? This is kind of what they used to do in the cartoons, right? What would you do? In the middle, right underneath that box, what would you do? You, you'd, put a, you'd put some bait. You'd put a carrot. You'd put some honey. You'd put some money. You'd put something in the middle so some little person would walk up, some animal would find it, and then what do you do? That scandalon has a rope on it, and what happens? As soon as you get past the trigger, as soon as you walk by the trigger, it springs on you, and you are trapped in the scandalizo of your problems. A trigger and a trap. Everybody say a trigger, a trigger. and a trap. What about in your life? Are there certain triggers? We use that word in a lot of different ways, don't we? We have something that will trigger our emotions. Uh, are you the kind that will get mad quickly? Get fired up, just boom! There was something that triggered your emotions. Maybe uh, you're a little more uh, delicate, as we were talking about on Sunday. And maybe, maybe it's the tears that are triggered. Maybe you're watching a sweet little Hallmark commercial. Maybe it's a, a sweet picture that someone will show. It just triggers you. Pastor Eric is like that. You, you all know it. We have something that we have to look at here, that there's a trigger, a scandalon, and there's a trap, a scandalizo, that we have to be very, very careful of. We're going to walk through this because I'm, not going, to, I'm, I'm going to tell you in advance where we're going. I'm going to tell you so that we're getting this all along the way and you're able to consider, in fact, what the Lord is speaking to us. This is a word that I've had boiling on the inside of me. It's, it's, been, it's been percolating on the inside of me. It's been going around in my thoughts often. I can't quite get away from it. I want to set it down, but it keeps coming back alive in my heart. Because there are some triggers that we have that we must eliminate in this place tonight. We must. The Lord is far too faithful to us. He is moving far too much in our midst for us to leave any scandal on which will lead to your scandalizo here in this place. Amen? Let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 25. 1 Samuel chapter 25. We just looked at the law which was time to establish our hearts, set us on the right footing, help us to understand what in fact it is that we are supposed to do. We're going to the prophets that are going to warn our soul about something. 1 Samuel verse, uh, chapter 25, and we're going to start in verse 26. Amen. It says this, Now since the Lord has kept you, my master, from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, may your enemies and all who intend to harm my master be like Nabal. The context of this setting 
is that this is the story of Abigail and Nabal. How many people have been through marriage counseling here in this church? And you understand about Abigail and Nabal. This is later on in the story. Abigail finds out that David has heard of the insults that have been thrown at him by Nabal's men. The absolute abject disrespect that these men gave to King David. Gave to David. And she's running out to meet him. Since the Lord has kept you, my master, from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, may your enemies and all who intend to harm my master be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my master be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's offense, for the Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my master because he fights the Lord's battles. Let no wrongdoing be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my master will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. She is speaking to David in a way that is beautiful here. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. Well, that's kind of an interesting uh, metaphor to use speaking to David, isn't it? Think he would understand that just a little bit? He would have that and go, wow. Speaking King David's language, right? When the Lord has done for my master every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him leader over Israel, verse 31, my master will not have on his conscience the staggering burden. Everybody say staggering burden. burden. Of needless bloodshed of having avenged himself. And when the Lord has brought my master success, remember your servant. Well, this is an interesting passage, isn't it? Man, it's beautiful. She's run out there. She has jumped in front. She has laid down before him. She ran to go out and meet David so that she can fall and from a humble position speak to this great man of God. Let's take a look at verse 31 again. My master will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed. I want you to see this in the Septuagint for me. I have, I have a picture you guys see that? It may be a little small for you. Let, let, me, let me read the English version to you. This is part of what I was reading today. Then shall not be against your, this abomination and obstacle, heart, to my master to pour out without charge and to deliver the hand of my master from himself. Man, isn't that, doesn't that help bring so much clarity to it? Um, well, pastor, I don't, I don't quite get actually what was just said, right? It's a little confusing when you read this. Let's go back to the NIV. Now that you've seen it in the Septuagint, I want to read it to you and I'm going to give you uh, my translation of it real quick. Okay. It says this, my master will not have on his conscience, the staggering burden or the grief caused by the scandalon of an offense of heart. My master will not have on his conscience the staggering burden. What's a staggering burden? According to the Greek, according to the Septuagint, it is grief caused by the scandalon of an offense in his heart. Wow. Did David have a right to be offended? Everybody's quiet because you're like, I don't know, Pastor. Is this a trick question? Did he have a right to be offended? Uh, let me say it a different way. Did David have cause to be offended? Yes. Mistreated, disrespected in every way. What he had done was right. 
the way he was treated was wrong. And what happened in King David's life here? What happened in David's life? He had an offense that settled in his heart. And what had he decided? Hey, go, hey guys, get your swords. Because there's not going to be a man, a male alive in that household by morning. So help me God. And, that, and that's, the, uh, that's the Sutherland translation for you tonight, right? So help me God, I will kill every man in his, in his home. What did it require for David not to actually have the grief of the scandalon of offense in his heart? It required Abigail to run out and fall before him and act in such a godly way that he's, his anger subsided. His offense went away. What about your heart tonight? Are you walking around with offense? Oh, Pastor, I mean, it's not offense if it's, if it's justifiable, right? I mean, I mean, you don't actually know what happened to me. Every seed, every root of bitterness, every pretension, every argument has to be annihilated tonight. You cannot allow one single area of offense in your life because you know what offense is in this case? It's the scandal on. It's the trigger that will cause absolute havoc and hell in your life. Anybody ever been offended? <laughs> of course we have, right? Anybody ever been offended at, at something that felt very just, something happened to you and they were wrong and you were clearly right? Anybody ever been offended for someone else that didn't even actually happen to you? But you looked and were like, ha, ha, ha. Very eloquent, right? Yeah, it's, 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 you look at somebody else and they did something, and what happens is you got fired up. If you haven't said yes, then A, you're not a parent. Oh, yeah. B, you probably haven't been married that long. Yeah. What did you say? My friends, offense is a scandalon that will lead you to the scandalizo of deception, of powerful deception, of separation from the Lord. We're joking around about it because we're all so familiar with offense, the idea, the concept of offense, of the idea that we should not be offended because the way I, that I asked it the first time, some of you were quiet. Did David have a right to be offended? And you're like, this is a trick question, Pastor. We read the word. And why did you know, why did you have trouble answering that question? Because you know that he didn't, in fact, have a right to be offended, but he had cause to be offended. There are a lot, there's some people in here who walk around and you think you have a right to be offended. My friends, I'm not saying tonight that there's not cause for you to be offended, but you have no right to be offended. Amen. You can be offended as you want, and all you're saying is you're stepping into the box, you're stepping in, into the scandalizo, and you are kicking the trap yourself. You're kicking the trigger itself, the scandal on. You're knocking it out, and you're boxing yourself in and saying, I am right to stand right here. Congratulations, you're right. And you're in the box. You're separated from God. You can't hear Him. There's no fellowship that's going on. Exactly how much of a right do we want to have to be offended in this place? 
Yet we know these things. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, tonight, before you leave tonight, we're going to uproot every single seed of offense in us. We're going to eliminate, we're going to identify and crush every scandal on that may be in your life. You know how we're going to do that? Because the Spirit of the Lord is here with us. Some people walk around and they, they kind of, uh, you know, if I asked you, hey, when was the last time you got offended? Hmm. I, I, don't, I don't know, Pastor. Now that you mentioned it, I'm not quite sure when the last time I was offended. Uh, is that because you stay so offended you don't really notice when you get offended? <laughs> Come on, guys. We love each other in this place. Amen. We can look around and we can laugh and we can love each other and you could still walk away with offense. You can still come in here every single stinking service enjoying the presence of God. Man, this is fantastic. And walking away with some barb of offense, with some scandal on that you've seen and went ahead and tripped over it anyway. Man, as we're looking at this, the idea that our conscience is under the staggering burden. What beautiful words from Abigail. You know what Abigail means? Her name means... My father's joy. What happens when we rightly avoid the scandalon in our lives? What happens when we see the trigger? I mean, and, and it is as ridiculous as the picture. Can you put the picture back up for us of the box of the scandalizo and the scandalon for me? It's as ridiculous as this trap. <clears throat> I wonder what will happen if I do this. It is this simple. There's a little breadcrumbs that lead right under there. And we just kind of walk into it time after time. Come on now, is this true or not? The same thing that leads you to get angry every time? How is that not a scandal on in your life? Your anger. You know why? Because the enemy just has the little breadcrumbs that roll you right up to this and you get mad and you push the scandal on yourself. Boom. Scandalizo. Trapped. You kick the trigger and now you're trapped. Again, the forward motion that you thought you were going to have, you were just following the breadcrumbs that the enemy had laid out for you. When you can rightly avoid, when you can rightly see that this, in fact, is a scandal on. Hello, wake up. Wake up. What is the enemy doing in your life? How many times has he wrecked you from a scenario that is just like this picture? Messed you up. Caused broken relationships in your life that you, now you can just pretend. Now you just smile. Now you put on a happy face because we're under the box, but we're trying to pretend like we're not in the box. Yeah, this is not a mime, folks. There's an actual box that's here. But when you're like Abigail and you can help sidestep this, you know what happens? Abigail becomes the wife of a king. Amen. She becomes the wife of King David. The one who, whose name means my father's joy was joined to the king himself. She had two sons, by the way. Abigail did. Caleb and Daniel. Caleb means like his father. Is that a good thing or a bad thing in your mind? What if it was King David that you got to be like? 
What if it was the very Messiah that you got to be like? What if you were just like your father? We don't often use that phrase to be uh, uh, complimentary, do we? (laughs) You were just like your dad. At least not when I was growing up in my house. That wasn't a positive thing. (laughs) Here, it's an incredibly positive thing if your father is God. Daniel means, and God is my judge. So what happens? When you avoid the scandalon, you bring your father joy. You join your life to the very life of the king. You produce those who are like the father and who entrust themselves to God as their judge. That's what happens when you can avoid the scandalon. Man, that is a beautiful thing. But what about the converse of that? What happens when you fall into the scandalon yet again, my friend? What happens when the trigger, the scandalon, and the trap, the scandalizo, have fulfilled its purpose? You're unable to bring joy to your father. You can't be rightly joined to the king. You produce sons that are like someone other than their father. And you produce sons who set themselves up as their own judge. This is the fruit of not doing this right, of getting caught by the scandalon in the scandalizo every time. This is, in fact, the fruit. Guys, as we are moving as a church, as we are getting our lives in order, as we are preparing, can you feel that the Lord is doing these things? I'm not just making this up. The Lord is actually moving us somewhere. Some of you, I've seen more motivation, more encouragement, more strength in your lives in the last month or two than I've seen since I've been here. Is that true or not? And the Lord is still gracious to us to make sure that every little bit, while the getting is good, while things are going positively, while you feel encouraged, what is the Lord trying to do? He's trying to get every root of bitterness out of your heart. Amen. Every scandal on that continually trips you up and he's trying to remove that from your life. He's trying to get you away from the things that will box you in and keep you from right growth. My goodness, what a great God we serve. As you're thinking through this, as you're thinking about the scandal on that have happened in your life, in your own heart, let's look at a few other scriptures following this throughout. Let's turn to Joshua chapter 23. Joshua chapter 23. Verse 13. Let's look at verse 12 so we can start the sentence here. Joshua 23, 12. It says this, But if you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them, wow, and associate with them, Then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become scandalon and traps for you, whips on your backs and thorns in your eye until you perish from this good land which the Lord has given you. You know what happens when we don't rightly assess these things? Man, these are the thorns in our eyes. These are the the burrs in our side. These are the things that cause us to fall away from God Himself. All the while... Declaring how great we are. Let's look in Judges chapter 8. Judges chapter 8. Amen. Let's look at verse 27. Gideon made the gold into an ephod, which he placed in Oprah, his town, 
All Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it, the ephod, there. And it became a scandalon to Gideon and his family. Man, you know what? Our anger can become a scandalon in our life. Our offense is the scandalon in our lives. Our possessions can become a scandalon in our lives. That's what had happened here. Gold ephod. After a victorious battle that we still talk about, that you teach your kids about all the time. When you think of Gideon, you think of a glorious victory in battle over, over overwhelming odds. All Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping this golden ephod there. It became a scandalon to Gideon and his family. You know what happens when your scandalon is not taken care of rightly? It always impacts your family. The end goal of this scandalon is to, in fact, harm you, of course. To harm your nation, of course. It's always designed to get at your family. I've seen it far too often. A man who walks around offended ends up having a wife that walks around offended. A wife that, and husband that walk around offended ended up having kids that walk around and being offended. All the while smiling at you and saying, I'm not offended. I'm not offended at all. Pastor, I don't know what you're talking about. I am so not offended. Whoa, calm down. Clearly you're not offended at anything. You're also not mad. We've actually had, I've had these discussions with people. I, I, I'm not making this up. Within the last few months, here at this church, visiting other churches, I've had actually had that conversation with somebody. I'm not offended. I'm not offended. I am not offended. Are you trying to convince me or are you trying to convince yourself? The goal is always to break down our families. Let's take a look at 1 Samuel 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. Let's look at verse 20. Speaking of trying to get at our families... Our anger, our acts of the flesh become scandalon in us. Our offense, scandalon. Possessions can become scandalon. Look at verse 20. Now Saul's daughter, Michael, was in love with David. And when they told Saul about it, he was pleased. Oh, sounds like a good story, huh? Nope. I will give her to him, he thought, so that she may be a scandalon to him. And so that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Yikes. Come on, singles. Come on, young people in here. You don't think the enemy wants to use the opposite sex to be a scandal on in your life? Actually, what do we call it when someone is dressed inappropriately? Scandalous. Oh. Wait. You mean that it's trying to entrap you? Yeah, that's exactly what it's trying to do. You mean that the things that we see on a computer are trying to entrap you and be a scandalous scandalon in your life? Yes, that's exactly what's happening. You're getting trapped every time. Every single time we continue to get trapped by the same things. In this case, Saul thought that he could trap David by giving David his daughter. 
she actually liked David and he was pleased with that wine because it met his nefarious purposes quite well. Perhaps that scandal on, we see that later on, don't we? When David comes back in dancing before the Ark of the Covenant. He's dancing. He's dancing before the Lord with all of his might. Every six steps they stop and sacrifice something to the Lord. Every six steps. When they finally get it right, man, there's rejoicing in God's house. When you get something right, when you actually carry rightly the presence of God, it causes such rejoicing that you want to sacrifice all the time. You can't wait till the next six steps is done so you can stop and sacrifice again. Wait, what else do I need to do? Is there something else that I can give up for the Lord? Praise Him. Let me give it up now. Let me come in. Is, is it just finances that I have to give up? Is it just my own preferences? I will be glad to do that. You know why? Because there's no scandal on here. I'm not offended that you're asking me to give more, Pastor. I rejoice in the fact that I know that there may be a need that I can actually contribute to. You know why? Because I've got God's presence with me. There is no place for scandal on here. But what did Michael do? She despised David in her heart. <laughs> what starts out as affection can quickly turn to someone despising that if you have a scandal on kind of spirit about you. Turn to Psalm 49. Psalm 49. And as you have clearly seen, each one of these verses has the Greek word scandalon in it. Throughout mind from the Septuagint. Psalm 49, verse 13. There. 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 Tara, you can go ahead and put that on the screen, my dear. This is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve their sayings. Selah. Stop and think about it. Okay? So here's a little game we're going to play for a second. You know that the word scandalon is actually in this verse. Because that's why we're reading it. It's not quite as apparent, is it? It's because of the translation that we have here. This is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve their sayings. Here's the way that it says it in the Septuagint. Those who walk in the way of offense and the people who agree with them will share the same fate. Shut it down, man. Those who walk in the way of offense and the people who agree with them. All right. Everybody look up this way. If you're allowing someone to stay offended around you, and if you are in fact walking around in offense, do you know what happens? The same scandalon gets both of you. It doesn't even have to be your personal offense. They didn't even say anything to you. It wasn't even done to you. And you can walk around and hear someone speaking, and what happens? You decide... That you're going to walk in the way. You're going to have the same fate. Not only of those who trust in themselves, yes. But those who are walking in the way of offense or scandal on. We've got to be very, very careful what we allow someone to say around us. We've got to be very careful. Or what happens? That offense 
It's a spiritual thing that is trying to get on you and trap you too. Are you being, are you being really sympathetic to your friend? Do you think it's a good idea to be sympathetic to everybody? Or are we supposed to grab hold of one singular standard and see what the Word of God has to say and encourage, demand, scream, jump up and down so that they don't get caught in the trap? Or are you just trying to be a good friend and you both get caught in the trap? Thank you. I don't need that kind of friend. I don't want you as my friend if you're going to let me get in a trap. I need people who will actually stand and go, Brother... That is a trap set by the enemy. That is a scandal on, and it will ruin your life. You need to wake up and not do that. Amen. I will Amen. so thank you for that. Amen. You should so thank your pastors and your elders, your fellow brothers and sisters in this room that say, you need to stop thinking that way. You need to stop saying that way. You are walking in the way of offense. It wasn't just a bad comment that you had, that you misspoke something. It's a heart that is offended, that doesn't like your station in life, that doesn't like what you've been given, that doesn't like what the Lord is doing, that doesn't like a whole lot of things, and you're blaming it on the wrong things, and you've been trapped, and you're oblivious. Because that scandalon gets you deceived every time. You're in the trap fighting to stay in the trap. When someone is actually trying to come along and free you from said trap, you fight to get back in the trap. Yeah, this is, uh, this is the reality of the kingdom, my friends. This is why pastoring is the most rewarding, incredible, difficult, painful, ridiculous, awe-inspiring thing that I've ever even attempted to think about doing. Because when you're trying to free somebody from their scandal on, sometimes they want to stay in it. My God, you don't think the enemy knows your old ways? the old places, the old faces, the old vices that keep getting you? Do you realize more people fall to the scandal on that are presented in their lives that don't? And you're in a place where you can have your eyes open. You can have your eyes open tonight about what the Lord is doing. Let's turn to Psalm. Since we're in the Psalms, let's turn to 106. Verse 36. It says this, they worshipped their idols. You realize that's what idols are for, right? They don't have to be on wooden totem poles. They're on flashy, bright screens in our world. They worshipped their idols, those demonic things which are trying to have power over you, which became a scandalon to them. What you worship will, in fact, be the scandalon in your life. If you're not worshipping the one true king, it will trip you up every time. You become just as dumb as the idols that you're worshiping. You'll become just as blind as the idols that you're worshiping. As a matter of fact, you will start taking on the characteristics of the idols that have ensnared you. Pastor, I'm not ensnared. Let's look at your life. Are you victorious in every area of your life? Or are you still having trouble getting your emotions in, tre- in check, my friend? Are you victorious? Do you walk around in bitterness and anger and offense? Are you still letting the same sins defeat you day after day and month after month and year after year with no victory in sight? Have you just decided that you're going to be trapped and so it's okay and you've just been comfortable with the shackles that you're wearing? 
Let's turn to Psalm 119, verse 165. 165. It says this, Great peace have they who love your law, and nothing can make them scandalon. Nothing. Everybody say nothing. Nothing, nothing can make them scandalon. Man, what an encouraging thought. These are all the same word in the Greek. The trigger of the trap, the scandalon. Offense is that trigger of the trap. Think through people. Come on now. This was the word scandalon throughout. There are many other passages. I picked out a few that I thought were actually just my favorite today. But if you're thinking about scandalon being the offense in your life, what about people like Cain? So offended. Who was he offended at? He was really offended at God. Because God did not accept Cain or his offering. What was going on in Cain's life? Yeah, some arrogance and pride that wanted to do what he wanted to do and wanted God to accept him the way he was. Well, we say that a lot in churches. You've heard that for in, in our modern day. Come just as you are. God wants to accept you just as you are. Yeah, but you can't stay just how you are. He is there to radically transform you and to raise you from the dead, to cause the things that were once alive in you to be put to death and His righteousness, which was once dead in you, to be brought to life. Amen. You cannot do it the way that the world is saying. You cannot be lulled to sleep by this. What about Aaron and Miriam? I was thinking about that in Numbers 12. You know what happened there? This is a short little passage. Numbers chapter 12 is a short chapter. Aaron and Miriam appear to be upset because Moses married a Cushite woman, had a Cushite woman for his wife. They didn't like the choices that the man of God made. Or they, at least they didn't like the choices their brother made. And you know who heard about it? The Lord did. The Lord came down and said, wait, 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 whoa. What are you saying about my friend? This is when, when the cloud descended on him and when it lifted, what happened? Miriam was full of leprosy. Ha ah! ha! Well, you know, sometimes that would actually be easier, though, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. If you're walking in around in a fence and you just walk in one day, we're like, Go! Go! <laughs> Hello, Pastor. <laughs> Hello. I'm not offended, Pastor. <laughs> Go! Well, that might make it easier, wouldn't it? You think it's any leprous to walk in the way you do? You think it's any less offensive or less obvious when you walk in the way you do just because your skin isn't in a degraded state? You think it's less noticeable than leprosy? Come on, who are you fooling? Who are you kidding? You're walking around just like Miriam was. You're just foolish enough to think that no one can see it. What about Saul? Remember Saul's entrapment earlier on David? You know what the verses right before that say? That Saul had an issue. He took offense because they were singing a song. Anybody ever been offended by just a simple phrase? Anybody ever been offended by someone else's joke? Ever? 
right? Somebody's saying a joke and you're like, that stings. You know it's a joke, they know it's a joke, and yet what happened? There's a scandal on that happened in your life and you're like, even, and especially as adults, you're like, that shouldn't have bothered me. That doesn't bother me. No, that really bothers me. They were singing a song and Saul got so angry and so offended. What was the song? Saul has killed his thousands. He's slain his thousands. And David, tens of thousands. Saul got so angry that he was looking for opportunities to kill David and entrapped him with the scandal on of his own daughter. That is the passage that we're looking at, that we looked at earlier. <laughs> and it goes on to say this. Let's, let's look while we're, while we're together. 1 Samuel chapter 18, and let's look at verse 9. Or 8 and 9. Here it is. Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. That's a good word. We don't use that word enough, right? It galled him. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me only with thousands. Yeah, that's kind of a boss kind of statement, though, by the way. If you've killed thousands of people, that's pretty impressive. What more can he get but the kingdom? Was David singing this song, by the way? No. And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Everybody say, jealous eye. Jealous eye. Do you have a jealous eye in this place today? It's, it's, it's lighthearted when we're thinking about it as Saul, isn't it? Saul kept a jealous eye on David. You look at people in this house and you're jealous of what the Lord is accomplishing in their life? You upset that they get noticed and you don't? And you feel like you've killed more than your thousands and they have less than their tens of thousands? This passage is interesting. Verse 9 says in the NIV, And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. I found something neat here too. I know we've been talking about scandalon in the Greek. I found something in the Hebrew here. You know what this verse says? It has a word that's untranslated in the English. It has a Hebrew word that's there that has no counterpart in English. In the Hebrew it says, Saul, Hayah, a jealous eye. Saul didn't just keep a jealous eye on David. Saul became a jealous eye. His very existence became about his jealousy towards David. He became, come on now, that's different than he kept a jealous eye. Like if you're walking around, boy, I got, I got my eye on you. But what happens when you're there? Well, you're not there and that, that, that feeling subsides. It says that Saul actually became, his existence became about being jealous of David. So I ask you again, do you have a jealous eye in this place? Pastor, I'm not looking at any man. I'm not looking at any single person in this place and jealous. Are you jealous of someone's position? Are you jealous of someone's gifting? Are you jealous of someone's talents? Are you jealous of someone's life? These are all scandalon. We're not allowed to. If you can't rejoice when your brother has a great, something great happen to them, you've got to be careful that you're not walking around and becoming jealousy itself. When your sister gets blessed and, you're, and you don't, 
Are you able to rejoice with them? Or have you fallen into that trap time and time again? Are you tired of being where you are and instead of just being godly and trusting that he'll move you somewhere, you look at someone else and just become jealous? So many other examples that I could use in the Older Testament, in the Tanakh. It sets it up in a beautiful way to tell us about these concepts. We're going to shift to the Newer Testament here, to the Brit Hadashah, and we're going to reach a pinnacle in our understanding of what Scandalon and Scandalizo are all about. Would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 24? Matthew chapter 24. Let's look at verse 10. If the Septuagint went through and did such a clear job of laying out some of these issues, even in passages that in our NIV are it's a little bit veiled to us, but we realize they're walking in the way of offense, and those who follow in their way are going to be caught up in the same scandal line. In Matthew 24, let's look at verse 10. It says this, At that time, many will turn away from the faith. And will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most, everybody say most, most. will grow cold. If the word of God is true, let every man be a liar compared to this. If the love of most will grow cold, how do we keep our love from growing cold? We fight every scandal on that tries to rear its ugly head. In this passage, let's go back to verse 10. At that time, many will turn away from the faith. Many will scandalizo the faith. They will be so entrapped in their own sin, they will be so entrapped, they're literally turning away from the faith. The whole world is going to be Seen for what it is in this case. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. And verse 5. Whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to be scandalizo. If you cause a little one to fall into a trap of sin, it would be better for you to have a huge millstone hung around your neck and drowned in the depths of the sea. Seems kind of harsh, doesn't it? I don't think it seems harsh at all. I am a loving human being. You come around and start trying to trap my kids with sin? Do you see the import of this? Do you see how in Matthew 24 we get a picture of the entire nation? You get a picture of the entire world. And in Matthew 18, you get a picture of what it's like at the family level. I kind of set that up in an interesting way. I kind of set it up as somebody outside of the family setting a trap for someone inside of the family. When we are walking around in a scandalon kind of way, 
are we not causing those in our own household to walk in a trapped environment? It's one thing if I thought Judah was trying to do something to my family. Judah's young and strong and he'd probably take me out, but it wouldn't, I'd, I'd make him feel the pain. He wouldn't do it easily, I can assure you. I'd be willing to give my life for my family. What if it's me doing it to my family? What if by you not conquering the sin in your life, what if you, by not taking care of the scandal that has been apparent in your life, you are in fact causing the little ones who believe in Him to fall into the same trap? What if it isn't so much about generational curses? Because if it's a generational curse, aren't we let off of the hook just a little bit? It's not really my fault. What if there are no, just, just with me for a minute, what if there are no such thing as generational curses, but it's us not defeating the scandal on in our lives and it passes down to our kids? Because we taught them how to fall prey to it. We taught them to never be successful. We taught them to allow sin in our lives in such a way. It's okay. We don't do that, but we stay offended all the time. Truth is, I don't really like how the pastors drink, but you walk in offense all the time. I'm not down for that, that thing that they do over there, but you're walking and you're teaching your kids how to walk in this? Husbands, are you teaching your spouse? I don't mean that you sit down at a whiteboard and you start drawing it out. I mean that your everyday example is, this is how we do it. This is how we walk in a fence. You know why? Because I never let it go. I'll smile and say that it's okay, but we all know that I'm not going anywhere with this. I'm going to keep it. I have been trapped and I can't get out. We see the world... We see our families. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Are you guys with me tonight? Starting verse 27. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to scandalizo, listen to me. If your right hand causes you to scandalizo, You've tripped the trigger, and if your right hand causes you to be ensnared, cut it off and throw it away. Well, pastor, isn't that just a, an expression? I mean, it's a form of speech, right? It's a Calve Comer kind of argument. We're going light and heavy here, aren't we? If your right hand causes you to scandalizo, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. 
if you understand it from a scandalon and a scandalizo perspective, doesn't that change this passage for you? I have to be honest, it changed it for me. Well, I'm quick to say, man, you can cut off parts of your body and you still have the same sin in your life. But do you understand what this is saying? If there's anything in your life that is causing you to continue to get tripped up, you need to get rid of it in an extreme kind of way. Why? Because you think you're going to keep falling prey to the same kind of sin and it not cost you everything in the end? In John 6, 60, he is laying down some incredible... <laughs> I'm reminded of that because this, this seems like a hard teaching. Yeah, they said the same thing to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, yeah, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood if you're going to have any part of me. And he looked at his disciples and, man, this is, this is hard, Jesus. This is a hard teaching. I don't know if anybody can accept it. Does this offend you? You're going to get scandal on with me? Yeah, I'm not going to be the trap there. He was talking to them in such a strong and powerful way. You know what Jesus says to Peter in Matthew 16? He says, get behind me, Satan. You are a scandal on to me. You're a stumbling block to me. You're trying to... (laughs) Peter, your words there, you're trying to entice me into a trap and I'm going to have none of it. Jesus is talking to Peter. Turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. And let's look at verse 10. Whoever loves his brother... Come on, say, love your brother. brother. Lives in the light. And there is nothing in him to make him scandalon. There's nothing there. If I actually love the people around me the way I'm supposed to, and I'm living in the light, you know what I'm not going to be? I'm not going to be a scandalon to someone else. I'm not going to act like Peter in that moment and actually be saying something of my own volition that was not birthed from the heavens. There's nothing going to be in me that's going to make me scandalize. This is the Word of God to us tonight. There should be nothing in us that makes us scandalize. Because it's up to us. That's one of my favorite phrases, Pastor. Pastor Eric has a lot of things that I've learned from and grown and continue to do so. One of my favorites is it's just up to us. It is up to us tonight. Revelation chapter 2. And let's look at verse 14. Nevertheless, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin. He enticed them. He was trying to scandal on them. He trapped them to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Scandal on from the law to the prophets to the writings, Older and Newer Testament, we've seen this idea of being entrapped. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 13 as we get ready to close. At least to get closed with the sermon part of tonight. Not closed with what the Lord wants to do in our midst. Let's look at verse 40. 
Matthew 13 and verse 40. Are you there with me? The parable of the weeds is being explained here. Verse 40 says, As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. Go back to first. We'll just leave verse 41 on the screen for a second. Let's read that again. The Son of Man will send out His angels and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes scandal on and all who do evil. Part of the definition, one of the defining characteristics of the kingdom is that the angels are going to go forth and literally weed out everything that can be used as a scandal on. Every single trigger, every single trap will be taken care of. But you know what's also taken care of in that moment? All who have been doing the evil. All who have been apart and attached to the scandalon, to the scandalizo. It gets rid of every part of this that can entrap us and those who are being constantly entrapped by it. The great part about our church is that I could have told you tonight the simplicity of this sermon is, yeah, offense, don't. My heart has been to try to build something for you that has been inside of me that says, there's a trap, friends. There's a trap. You might think it's something else. You might think it's justified. You might just think it's things or feelings or emotions or thoughts, and it is a trap to you. We're far too ready to make Matthew chapter 5 when it says to cut these things off. We're far too ready to make that some type of hyperbole. I want to talk to you as I close about a man named Thomas Cranmer. This man lived in the 1500s. Catholic priest who had made a stand in a very Protestant kind of way. And what happened is on the day of his execution, Kramer was led into a church. And it was, when it was his turn to speak, he drew out a piece of paper and began to read. He thanked the people for their prayers and then said, I come to the great thing that troubleth my conscience more than any other thing I've ever said or have done in my life. See, they were trying to get him to recant, recant everything that he had said. He brought opposition against the Pope. He brought opposition against the Catholic Church. And they were trying to say, look, all you need to do is sign on the dotted line right here. Just sign right here. Nope, here's the pen. Just sign that all that stuff that you said was wrong and we'll let you live. He cowers to the pressure. He signs it. And they decide they're going to take him and burn him at the stake anyway. In this moment, he pulls out his paper and reads... That hey, everything that I just everything that I just signed is untrue. As people begin to rustle in the audience, he said, Furthermore, and as for the Pope, I refuse him as Christ's enemy and antichrist and all of his false doctrine. And as he begins to continue on, he says, And for the sacrament, he's gonna make his bold stand here after incredibly getting caught in scandalon. 
Kramer was immediately dragged from the stage and out to the stake where they lit it on fire quickly. Kramer stretched out his right arm and his hand into the flame which began to envelop everything. And he held it there as he said, This hand has offended my God. Only once did he withdraw it to wipe his face, and then he returned it until it had burned to a stump. Praying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he died. How many things have you really just kind of signed away? That tonight you need to have radically amputated from your life. What kind of things need to be burned up in the fire tonight? Your offense. The wickedness of your own heart to hold on to things. Those scandal on things that keep you bound and trapped. Limited. Powerless. Feckless. Faithless. As we get ready to begin some worship time, that story of Thomas Cranmer moved my heart. I think he understood Matthew 5, 27 pretty well. Tonight, I want every root of bitterness, every operation of offense that's in your life, caused by you, brought on by someone else that matters not. What do you need to put in the fire tonight and have it burned off in you? Would you stand to your feet with me?